1: Today, I am very pleased to have Corey Fisk as my guest. And Corey is going to talk about women in construction. Is it really necessary? Let's find out a little bit about her. So, Corey has been involved in almost every aspect of the construction industry federal, tribal, pu- public works, commercial, and residential projects working as a field engineer, construction and project manager, facility director, executive, private consultant, facilitator, and educator advocate for over 18 years as a college professor. Corey is a graduate of Texas A&M University, Bachelor of of Science, and a Master of the Arts in Curriculum and Instruction. Corey's experience lends her a unique perspective and well-rounded approach to building professional and personal life balanced strategies with mm-hmm. a focus on self-awareness, transitional skill sets, mindset, leadership, and construction management curriculum for the personal development program of construction management online and again we're going to talk about construction women in construction is it really necessary please
2: welcome corey fisk hi corey hello thank you and thank you so much for having me today oh i just as we
1: were chatting earlier um, as soon as i saw what you did it just brought back some memories from the days as construction coordinator And um, so I thought I definitely need to have Corey on. We always start out with a simple, easy question for you. And that is what part of the country, where do
2: you call home? (laughs) Well, I do call Northern California home. And Uh so um, it's two hours Northeast of Redding, California is where I was raised. So it's up in the mountains, but my husband and I reside in Valley Springs, California.
1: Springs. I don't think I've ever been there. What is it new?
2: It is on your way to Lake Tahoe. It's just at the foot of the foothills there of the mountains going into San Andreas and Angel's Camp. Oh, beautiful area.
1: My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into the construction industry? We know it for people of my age, it it wasn't the normal path of a lot of people. (laughs) So what enticed you to uh, be be involved with the construction
2: industry? Well, it makes total sense that it wasn't the normal path and why I entered into it, because I don't think anything of my childhood was normal. (laughs) But um, my dad was an owner-operator. And so I had been around construction my whole life and it was a way to be able to make really good money at that age during the summer in order to be able to save money for college. Mm -hmm. And so my dad could keep an eye on me and watch what I was doing while I was working during the summer. And I almost think that he wanted me to be a laborer so I would never want to go back to construction again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know uh, that ha- tactic has been uh, done before
2: for some <laughs> of us. Yes. Yeah, so- really. I just, um, I would work so hard all summer long that school was inviting and I wanted to do it. Um, I did go to AM for a degree in animal science. I was going to go into equine husbandry oh. and, Um, follow my dreams of being a rodeo cowgirl but um, (laughs) that ended soon when I found out how expensive uh, rodeo was and how Mm -hmm. much money I was in debt in college debt so I came back home I worked construction to try to pay off my student loans and in that the gentleman who was the senior project manager of the prison project that I was working on as a laborer also graduated from Texas A&M. And when he found out that I was out in the field, he drove around for three days until he found me and then invited me to come in and have a job in the office. And so I jumped at the chance. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I knew that I wouldn't be out in that mud and nasty, nasty weather. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and he really just opened up an incredible opportunity to me that i really had no idea of how it would change my life oh so good so
1: whenever you got into this what was really the greatest challenge
2: that you you first overcame <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I think that everyone assumes that the first challenge is being a woman and being a woman in the construction industry, but again, I was raised by a six foot four 300 pound man so male intimidation was not really something that I was aware of. And so I feel like one of the hardest things that I had was that I did not have any experience, really any um, formal experience before getting into the construction management side. Mm-hmm. I did have good hands-on experience. I'd worked as a laborer. I'd been equipment operator, and I had heard my dad's stories for years and years and years. But not knowing how to read drawings, or not knowing how to interpret specifications, or put together letter correspondence, were all things that I basically did on the job training, and um, was just again really thankful for the opportunity to be able to uh, to be able to do that. Yeah,
1: and I think sometimes my brother-in-law owns a, a fabricated steel company, and so I got. Introduced to some of the things you're talking about. My husband, actually, a teacher in the summer would run plans and things like that. So I I got some of the lingo, and then obviously being a construction coordinator, some as well. But I think one of the challenges that I would have foreseen is that even though your background was with your father, you know, you knew a little bit about things, being able to have a mentor. I think construction is, uh, you know, uh, I guess trades give you more of that apprentice type of thing where they assume that you're not going to know when you walk in the door or something and there's going to be somebody that's going to take you under their arm and kind of guide you. Is that something that you found as you started?
2: Well, I, I really do, again, attribute my entire start and success to Curtis Allen, who was the senior project manager who came out to find me. And I really never was aware that I did, that I was not qualified to do the job that I was doing. I, you know, again, and take care of ourselves. And so really understanding that I needed to make it work, make it happen And so him providing me some of those that that guidance and that steps that you're talking about was extremely helpful, but it really felt more just like a second dad jumping into a position that was guiding his daughter through this educational program that just happened to have 400 guys out on the job site that uh, I had to interact with. So it uh, having a mentor, it, it really in any discipline, I feel, is the fastest way to be able to accelerate your success. Mm-hmm. And he certainly was a very strong role model in my life. Absolutely. And so with
1: that field experience, you you had to deal with people that were out in the field, the laborers, the workers, and then the other office workers. So mm-hmm. what was that like, the dynamic in that? Were you always having to prove yourself even to the people inside, or did they kind of take you under their wing and, and kind yeah, of guide
2: and, you? Yeah, the situation that I was in, um, Curtis Allen uh, actually, uh, fell ill um, about four months after I had gotten on to the project. And in that time frame, in that four months, he had actually been um, downsizing the team that was there um, because they were getting ready for the closeout of the project. And so it was really just he and I left and then we had a bunch of inspectors on the other side of the trailer and the inspectors really were just like there to be able to review work. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he got a brain tumor and so he was completely out and unavailable to me. Again, I was 24 years old with uh-huh. an animal science degree with very little formal inf- you know, education in this side. And everyone else had already been released. And so the inspectors, basically there were five of them took me under their wing and they guided me through the, the process. And i it was the first time that I had a female role model who was in a, an extremely powerful high level position and being able to watch her work in all of this. And she was the director of the California Correctional System. Mm she, she just told me she had perfect faith in me. And I don't know if I was working off of false confidence, but literally having her feel like I could do it, let me know that I could do it. And so anytime that I needed any guidance or any assistance, um, they were all there. And I wasn't scared to ask questions. Um, I never felt I, I, yeah, I definitely never felt like I needed to hide my inexperience. So that, you know, that's a a really good
1: guide or tip for people is not to be afraid to ask questions. There are no stupid questions. I know we always say that as, as managers, as mentors, there's no stupid questions, but people still are afraid as it's coming out of their mouth thinking, oh, they're going to think, I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's you know that's
2: life. you, you won't learn unless you ask, right? Uh, absolutely. And especially in the construction industry where the word vul- vulnerability doesn't really exist, right? So being able to show people that you're willing to expose that you don't mm-hmm. know it actually gives them confidence to be able to ask in those situations as well. But it's really just not just about asking, how do I do this? it's really about asking, can you help me? Can, can you help lead me through this? And Mm so really knowing and understanding that it's, it's the ask, the ask is really where the power is.
1: Absolutely. So I'd like your opinion of the current state of labor shortage and prediction for the next five to 10 years. And the reason why this was important to me, I, spent the last year, I went back to my old employer, they had called me to lead to set up a PMO for a project that I had wanted to do a long time ago, <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> and um, I kept on saying the two times I asked to do it, they said too expensive. So when they called, I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But it went, it was only supposed to be six to nine months, in 2021 and it went to a full year that I ended in 2022 because of of labor and shortages. So where are we now with all that?
2: Yeah, it's not getting any better. No. And so there's a significant number of situations that are causing this. And one of them is the loss of our experienced workforce. And so really understanding um, how valuable our elders are is going to be critical in the next couple of years. And in that questioning that you asked earlier about mentorship, just knowing and understanding that these individuals have the the, the workmanship and the experience that are going to lead those younger ones in the workforce that are coming in and the problem with the with those that are coming into the workforce right now is they have a different value scale than mm-hmm. many of us that have worked in the past. And so the the feeling around monetary gain is not as high with them. They want more value in life and balance and and how they can accomplish that. But the problem is is that they have had this um confidence of helicopter parenting that has been able to protect them from a lot of failures or a lot of hurts. And we all know that in that failure or in that, um, in that problem solving is where we learn our best experience. So it's not ever really the resolution or what came up as the solution. It was the journey to get there is mm-hmm. where we really gain our experience. Mm-hmm. And so where we used to sit at the foot of the elders and be able to listen to their stories with um, a lots of historical data and lots of information that filled those stories with detail and you know walking 12 miles uphill in the <laughs> snow both ways barefoot. But <laughs> all of those kind of stories were missing now. Mm-hmm. And the the stories that are being told today have you know frequent updates, have way too much um changes that are occurring, mm. that there is no stability that's been able to be uh, really built into the story. And so I feel that it's gonna be really important for employers to understand that there is value in hiring people that are in a retirement age and working with them to be able to design and custom custom design their own retirement career where they can come back two or three days a week not hit some of those fringe benefit issues that that companies are worried about, but still be able to offer some supplement income for them, but then also be able to be a quality eye on the job site or a friendly ear to be able to ask questions to. And then you don't have to worry about a superintendent thinking that you're incompetent because you had a mentor that you were able to talk to about it. So I work a lot with that in our mastermind mentor mem- membership where we are establishing opportunities for people who are getting ready to retire out of the field and return their industry skill set back to the mm-hmm. construction industry. But the other side of the coin are those that are coming into the industry are not really interested in working too physically hard. And really, that's a shame because I don't think that it's because they don't want to. I think it's because they've never really had to, and they don't know what it feels like to be able to get a job done and look back at it with pride of yeah. what you were able to accomplish. So, it's it the the dynamics are really interesting. Um, I, I feel that. Part of what I do with construction management online, which is the online college that I've developed, is just helping people understand human design and human behavior and how we will physically actually stir endorphins inside of ourselves by being able to produce some of this physical work. And it allows us to be able to have an appreciation for it and understand how really important it is but then also for companies to understand that that order of precedence and making people work in the field before going into the office Gives them an appreciation of what it takes so that when you are a manager in the office, you know that what it's like to be eight hours in a trench in 110 degree weather, you know, you know what it's like to be talked down to and that when you're a manager, maybe you will be less likely to do that if you came through the ranks like everyone else. So as you
1: were saying that it, it uh, again brought back memories. Um One of the things that I recall just in the recent is in that year that I was a project lead for that, my whole role was to teach the youngins, (laughs) to teach the kids because I knew I this is a five-year project. I knew I wasn't going to be there five years. And so I I had to spend time giving information to folks that they would not get unless they experienced it. So telling stories, if you will, as you were recounting, but also to be able to have them understand why. You know, I can tell you how, but it's important as that mentor, a coach in that role to say the why so that you understand the value. And then I went way back, Corey, way back to whenever I I worked for UPS. And I had um, probably in my third year there, they had a strike and I had to go out and help deliver packages. But I also that after that strike was over, I had to teach all these new people how to load a trailer. And it, as you said, gave you such a great insight so that when I went back into the office, and was doing projects, I could better serve my team because of the value of what I learned in the field. Uh, Proctor or uh, PPNG required all of its folks to start in lower level jobs for at least six months to a year so that they would then be able to give more value and benefit to folks as they moved up in the company. And I think there are some things, you know, change is great, but sometimes we have to go back and do some things that worked, I would think.
2: Well, you know, and this is really hard in the construction industry because we keep things very close to our chest because Mm -hmm. there is the threat of being fired if you give too many of your trade secrets away. And so (laughs) that's been something that we've been taught is to keep that information close to us and not share it. And so with the Mastermind Mentor, I go through and offer the ability to be able to teach. But knowing and understanding that no matter where we are in our life, that we're too steps ahead or two steps behind someone else and the effort of teaching something helps you become an expert in it when you have to break it down in such a way that it becomes something that somebody else can really understand what you're trying to get across and what you're saying so just as you're saying as you going and really breaking it down and then being able to show them how that needed to be done was able to probably inspire new innovative ideas for yourself of how it is that you could do it even better. And mm-hmm. so it allows you to be able to um, experience the gift of that growth as well. And in construction coordination,
1: construction project management, as well as the project manage, the projects I did were from IT to just operational things. And I it always excited me because the beginning in that information gathering point that's where i forced all of the people that were doing things to sit down and write down what they were doing and to be able to map to process map the processes they were in and see how can i change those processes to make them more efficient more better and um and it was eye-opening. A lot of times people never really thought about what they did. And so I, I would think in construction, it's the same way, you know, it, it's not just digging, digging a ditch, but is there, or putting up a, a drywall or anything, is there a better way to do it or, you know, better materials and tools and such.
2: And, and this is what I always encourage people to do is that really, if we can, master our life and use life mastery to manage our own personal life, then we're going to be able to manage a construction project. And so the skill sets that we're using are foundational life master skills that we use every day that are organization, budget, management, things that uh, we do use to be able to manage our own lives. And so just aligning it and transitioning it over into construction terminology for a 200 million dollar job just means that you're breaking that up into 200 million little pieces in mm-hmm. order for it to match what you've been doing in your personal in, in your personal journey but it's um this is what's so amazing about construction management literally i mean we make really good money but you could come from any discipline and do very well in management so yeah. It's something that is very, um, very diverse and flexible and offers great opportunities and, and great opportunities for women. You know, I mean, we are... Uh, I don't really like multitasker because we know anytime we can't stay focused on one thing, we're not going to be able to focus on everything. Mm -hmm. But our flexibility and our ability to be able to see things from a different perspective and to be able to create innovative, creative thinking that might not be with a man's mind that's more analytical and more direct and more box thinking We all have skill sets that we can build off of and lean on each other. And I think it's so important to recognize that I'm not equal to a man. I am totally different and I want to be different. Mm So, being able to lean into those powers and those places where you are really strong in your own genius and then helping educate men how they can invite women into the construction industry to support what they're doing is really the direction that we need to be going.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, we naturally have that higher EQ, my opinion. And, and I think the thing that I learned later in my career was I had, mostly had men as my mentors and so I was being taught to be a leader as uh, any man would be and it, it was counterintuitive to what I wanted to do oftentimes and when I tried to do it my way I was always told well no that won't work don't do that and then whenever I started to just listen to my gut and and lead with empathy and and more EQ the results were great. And mm-hmm. so I stopped listening to others and just went with my gut and, and that's when the difference and I think, you know, when you talk about the women in construction, I, I think of all of the the people that are housewives at home, and all the things that we have to do. And it, the pandemic was like a stretching us thin because we were workers we were housewives keeping the house clean feeding laundry teaching and still maintaining some semblance of uh, sanity
2: <laughs> but remember we did this during world war 2 as exactly, well exactly yes when we supported the men and we the, the world was able to keep moving because of women yeah. and so to Um, To your point of men and their inability to be able to sometimes open up the uh, change in things is that, you know, the military is what taught them to be leaders. And it did that by first stripping down their independence of who they really were and rebuilding it to meet the needs of the military and leading from the top down with an authoritative yelling Mm -hmm. type of demanding And for women to be able to invite our leadership skills into the industry, the way it is right now, where we can use empathy, we can show them about emotional intelligence, we can show them about personal wellness. This is going to be really important, because it's such a stressful, high anxiety, deadline forced um, industry, that there's a lot of stress that ends up Um, feeding inside chronically in within our bodies and because men are much less likely to write in their journal or to talk to anyone about it they hold Mm -hmm. on to this a lot worse than women do so i mean obviously everybody needs to be able to find ways to deal with their own stress and to be able to release it Mm -hmm. and that there are women who can be just as um Uh, stress driven as men, but men are finding it, you know, as the providers and, and as the reputation of it being all on their shoulders, Mm -hmm. um, they're really taking the brunt of it. So Mm -hmm. it's just important for us to all work together. Really, we all have just amazing contributions that we can put into this And the the importance is educating those that are resistant and showing them that they are the cause of the resistance. It's Mm -hmm. not because of the the need is not there because the need is there. It's Mm -hmm. that they're thinking and they are causing the resistance. Mm -hmm. So what other strategies would you suggest to
1: transition the workers from the field to the
2: office without hurting that bottom line or productivity? So this is a really big problem within construction companies, because a lot of times what will happen is they will have somebody really good in a position and then not want to promote that person because that person is really good serving the company in that particular position. And so the realization needs to come that if that person has made it clear that they would like to become an estimator or a scheduler or move into the office, that that company better start finding a way to be able to train somebody down the stream in order to be able to replace them. Because if they don't do that, that person's going to leave anyway. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to hold that person in a slot to benefit the company, the company really needs to look more at what's going to benefit the individual, because when they're happy and they're in their best skill set, they are going to produce even more and better quality work. And so the strategy would be, you know, knowing and understanding that we all have to have sacrifice in order to have big gain. So those small sacrifices are going to be things that maybe we don't want to do, but we know that we're not going to be there very long. So as long as we're there, we might as well make the best of it and learn what we can and then move into the next the next um, trip or the next journey of experience and then be able to work, you know, three or six months Mm -hmm. in that next one. And then if we make our travel clear, so if we have a clear destination and we know for a fact that we want to be a construction manager or we want to be an estimator, we have to know that ahead of time and make that very clear to that company and that owner that that's what our vision is. So that while we're working these little milestones and we're getting these cleaned up and taken taken care of and learning along the journey, that that journey can start aligning with that specific position that that company is going to have for us. So I I just think that, um, you know, everybody wants immediate gratification. Everybody wants to be in the position right now. And we really need to understand that it needs to be small sacrifice for big gains, and we need to be willing to do some of the hard stuff, knowing and appreciating that we don't have to stay there very long, but if we don't wanna be there a long time, we better pay attention and learn as much as we can in that moment that we're there. And conversely, I think this is a, less, a, a, a good lesson
1: or good instruction for, for the managers, the, the owners of the business, when you are hiring, the the person should be understanding the opportunities that you, to get your A players, you need to really be asking the questions in those interviews to bring out what that person wants to do to grow in this organization. And if they indicate that this is the growth that they have, then it's, that job expectation that you talked about, that 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 journey needs to be clearly called out. And as you talk about it, the expectations, then you can see if that person is excited or not. And if they're not, then, then don't waste your time hiring them
2: <laughs> because yeah, it's going to and- be a disappointment. Mm -hmm. And and this is a hard one, right? Right. Because I mean, how many times have you looked back on your life and thought this is exactly where I was going to end up? Like, when, when you have somebody and you're asking them, what is it that you want to do for the rest of your life? There's often a a bit of confusion because they don't really know what what is out there. They don't really know what's available. But by a company building what I call a destination map, um, being able to, to kind of identify what you're going to be doing in that career The most important thing to express to them is the understanding that they can grow outside of that path and redesign another path because people start to feel as though once they've decided to go in one direction, that that's the only direction that they can go in. And again, as a college professor, I see it all the time when these students are starting to take coursework and investing thousands of dollars in a certain pathway, and they continue down that pathway, even when they figured out that that's not what they want to do so it's very unfortunate that our high schools have taken out vocational education the way that they have because this was the opportunity for students to do more exploration of what it is they want to be or do the rest of their life so Mm -hmm. even in knowing that i've graduated from college and i have a construction management degree and therefore i want to be a construction manager there's still such a breadth of opportunity out there that of so many unknowns and different paths that we need to be really, really clear when we enter a company, what is gonna be available ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And then possibly even potential timelines. Like if I'm gonna be a field engineer, I know that my experience probably is going to take a two-year time frame before I will be promoted to the next spot. That way, if you can't wait two years, Then you need to go find another company that can Mm -hmm. promote you in a year, but you also need to be realistic with yourself. If those two years are because of a a specific or certain type of education that you have to experience in order to be able to move forward, then that's the time that you have to put in. You can't skip experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. just can't do it. Yeah. You can accelerate it with a mentor who can guide you through some of the loopholes of not making some of the same mistakes that you can't skip experience. Yeah. So whenever I graduated from high school,
1: even though I was at the top of my class, my parents couldn't afford college. So I went to business school and I thought, well, I want to be an accountant. So I'll, uh, I took a job as a secretary in an accounting firm mm-hmm. and about eight months or tax season time, I decided I do not want to be an accountant. <laughs> and so then it was like, well, what do you want to be? Because I, I thought, well, I, I don't think I want to be a secretary forever, but um, I was good at it. And so I went and just my careers kept on changing over time. And, and that's one of the reasons why I loved working at UPS, because it's such a huge company. And and I, I think, you know, I probably had five to cr- five careers in the 27 years that I worked there. Yeah. But so it, be, be willing to change. And uh, to me, a degree is just to show that you have some commitment to something. And, and And whatever you do, do what you love, you know. And here I am, 65, doing this and teaching and coaching and having a wonderful time. And that was nowhere, anywhere in my path. <laughs> so so I, I think people just need to understand that and, and employers too also need to, to, to be okay with people not staying there forever.
2: Yeah, employers really need to change up. Um, we, We keep focusing on the workforce and we keep focusing on the people that are coming into the workforce, but the employees are really going to have to go through some painful changes. And I've been working with a couple of different companies in establishing internal training programs in order to be able to help build what they're going to need in order to be able to put that foundation in place. But I think that um, specific to what what you said, one of the biggest um, obstacles in working with the development of where you're going to go with your life is people putting titles on things. And if we were to focus more on the different skill sets that we want to build within ourselves by first building off of the foundational genius zone, zone of excellence that uh, Gay Hendricks talks about in his The Big Leap book, Um, If we're able to use that as our DNA foundational base and then be able to identify where we want to be in life and develop and focus on the skills that are going to get us there then you may end up with uh, somebody who has multifaceted skills that could be an accountant, but then also be part of the graphics design team or mm-hmm. something. And you know, it would really uh, confuse companies for sure. It, it would drive them into a different uh, realm, but I think that it would make employees a lot happier and it would allow them to be more productive by being mm-hmm. able to stay in um, the boundaries of what they're really, really good at and what they can do efficiently. Yeah. I know this is a little bit
1: off topic, but not. One of the frustrations I always had uh, as a team leader or, or the supervisor manager was I had a person who was good at what they were doing and they didn't really have aspirations to grow but they wanted more money and the only Mm -hmm. way they could get more money was to go into management so now Mm -hmm. i have a person that was not going to succeed i knew they were not going to succeed but i also knew that they needed more money Mm -hmm. so early on in my career they had situations where you had different levels like of non-management, and then we got away from that. And I think it goes back to the titles thing that you were talking about. Yeah. But you know, I I think that's what a lot of companies need to understand: don't push people into areas of leadership if they're not ready to be a leader or they don't want to be a leader. But yeah, those it, that that are, you should you know help them. Train yeah, them. I,
2: it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. You know, you you're trying to push people into slots that have been developed over the last hundred years of who should be doing what and and how it should be being done instead of maybe taking a look at it and revamping it a little bit. You know, I mean, I I really don't know much about Google, for instance, but I mean, they really they really changed the playbook. Um, even when Twitter opened up their doors and let us know what some of those employees were enjoying during the day, like they really tried to just completely change the whole platform. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes you know there is a purpose for our structure and our structure has been able to withstand many, many years so there's definitely things to be taken instead of just completely wiping it away oh, and yeah, start from new.
1: Yeah. And I think first employers need to understand that their their organization all comes down to their people.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And their people
1: have to be appreciated. If
0: mm-hmm. their
1: people are appreciated and understand how what they do affects the mission of the company then they will be loyal to that company. But if they don't feel appreciated and they don't understand how what they do makes any difference, then it's easy for them to leave.
2: And this used to be how we were the, <laughs> the, the loyalty to companies used to be a, a real thing. And mm-hmm. so once companies became more self-centered and more into their own profits and the bottom line, and they lost that sight, it really, really destroyed the trust and credibility of companies with employees.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, employees were basically able to jump companies and have a five, $6,000 raise every time they did. So, you know, there are companies out there that are going to pay good employees. We are um, we're, we're definitely in a shortage in our work uh, workforce right now, and we're definitely in a shortage of skilled workers. And mm-hmm. not just hands-on skill. I'm also talking about just common sense, practicality, and um, you know, intellectual, critical thinking, problem-solving types of skill sets. Absolutely.
1: Well, this has been a tremendous conversation and all from the co- top topic of women in construction.
2: So <laughs>
1: exciting to talk with you today. And we're going to skip the rapid fire and go right to our slides. This is the contact information if you want to reach out to Corey. So, if you are watching, be prepared to do a screenshot. If you're a listening, I will read the website so that you can grab a pencil and paper right now to get it. The website is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash construction management Again, construction management online.com. She's on Facebook at construction management online, as well as Instagram construction management online and LinkedIn. You can find her name, Corey Fisk. I'm going to let Corey talk to you a little bit about what you can find on constructionmanagementonline.com.
2: Well, of course, I would love everyone to be in construction management. I think it's an absolutely amazing career. But what I've done as a college professor, I was really always limited to just the technical aspects of construction concepts. So I've taken human design, behavior comprehension and soft skill development and woven those into technical construction concepts. We learn about um, Mastermind Mentor and being able to do generational storytelling in our teaching. We have what's called a skill builder membership, which allows us to learn specific tasks, particularly for those new level entry people that are entering into the um, industry And then for the corporations, companies, and for individuals looking for specific construction paths, we have Construction Management Online, which is a college that identifies a path for construction management, construction, construction administration, or construction leadership. And it it is here to support women, but I support men as well, and um, are open to anyone who wants to come into this great uh occupation. Awesome. So again
1: to learn more you can go to constructionmanagement.com slash contact us to be able to talk with Corey directly. Corey, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest and sharing all the information and um, all the tips and great insights. I love the fact that you include that human design piece to what you're teaching. I think it's just so important for people to understand that you have to lead differently than we did in the 70s and 80s when I started. And the the more of us, all, young and old, that start to change, I think the world will, will certainly start to accelerate and um, exciting times coming, I think.
2: Absolutely. Thank you again so much for having me. It was a pleasure getting to meet a construction sister.
1: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. So I will uh, end as I always do to remind everyone that life is a journey. It's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off.